Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast. My name is Jake Eichert, and I am the Community Groups and Creative Director at Mission City Church, as well as the host of this podcast. Each week, you can find full-length sermons, five-minute sermon breakdowns, and inspiring conversations with guests about discipleship, current events, local outreach, and more. Our mission as a church is to make Jesus known, and we pray that this podcast does just that for you. If it does, please subscribe and share. But for now, please enjoy this episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. Awesome. Well, good morning also. So happy that you guys are, are here. Uh, my name's Russell, like Jake said. Thanks for the applause. It's not, the applause hopefully is for Jesus, not for me, um, in a very cheesy way. So we're, we're continuing a series in the life of Abraham. And uh, right now his name's still Abram, which is great. But we're uh, in a series moving towards uh, and looking for the, the life of Abraham. And uh, I'm excited about the series. I told you guys last week that my hope is that we would actually work through uh, the Torah or the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. Uh, those are all the same, same thing, by the way, great names. Uh, over the next, uh, jokingly, 20 or so years, but basically taking it a section at a time uh, and doing it a certain part of the year, uh, maybe even taking years off depending on how things go or what's going on in, in our season of life. Uh, but last year we talked about Genesis 1 through 11, and now over the next uh, few weeks we'll be looking at Genesis 12 through 24, 20, 24 and a half-ish. Uh, and I'm excited about it because Abraham is uh, basically the, the beginning of the nation of Israel, and you learn so much of it. But also, too, is like the Bible is intended to be read. It's intended to be read uh, multiple times, like over and over and over again. And it's also intended to be read uh, with other people, in dialogue with other people. And so you might, as you, if, as, if you haven't been, uh, if you haven't spent much time reading the scriptures, uh, it is a great thing to do in community. And so even just saying, hey, like, let's take this passage that Russell taught on this week and let's just read it again together and let's see what the Holy Spirit uh, maybe brings out and what we learn and what we see it in a different way. And so that's why we're doing that. Uh, and maybe you've heard these stories as a kid and maybe you're, you're reimagining them or relearning them as an adult and the flannel board was lying to you. It didn't tell you all the good things. But, um, or maybe this is your first time through it and uh, it's just been so exciting for you. So, but we're focusing on a guy named Abram. Uh, who last week was called to go from his homeland, and he went uh, to the land of Cana. Uh, and we're skipping over uh, chapter 13. We don't have a chance to do all of it. Uh, but really, one of the main things that you see that will help us for today is that Abram and Lot separate. Uh, Abram is the one that was called to go, uh, and, and Lot is Abraham's brother's son. Uh, I told you last week that you could, this is, there's a debate whether it's a good, like Abraham was just doing his diligence of like, this is a part of kind of Abraham, like this is who Abraham is responsible for, so naturally those people will all come with him, uh, or some people would say that he's being disobedient by taking Lot because he's not a part of his intermediate family as well. But a good, a good point on this side is basically, th- one of the main arguments to, in support of that is that basically Lot is just, just a trouble, not troublemaker, but just things happen to Lot all along the way. Essentially, they, they don't, they're, they're, they're fighting him and his, uh, th- th- his group of people that work for each of them are fighting over the specific land and there's not enough space for them. Uh, and so 
Abraham's like, hey, you just pick which way do you want to go. Do you want to go right or do you want to go left? And he goes a certain way, and Abram enters into the promised land. But they, they few, but Lot is separated, and this is kind of where we pick up in this story. So today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 14. I will say today there is a lot of text. We'll be in Genesis 14, and then we'll also be Psalm 110, and we'll be in Hebrews 7. Uh, so the Chiefs game's not until 3, so I feel like I have a lot of leniency here. Um, but uh, the reason that we have to do this is, is this is a really interesting story. It's also kind of a really strange story. And so to, to really cover it, we need to kind of hit all of these three different things. I will say, I'll tell you my conclusion at the end of this, at the end of this, which will take me almost all the way to the end, is just wanting to say this idea is that Jesus is the greatest mediator that, that you have. That Jesus is the greatest mediator that you have. That Jesus, even right now, is at the right hand of the Father. He mediates on your behalf. He's a go-between for you because he is the great high priest. And so that's where we're going, but it's going to take a while to get there. So hang on to your seatbelts and enjoy all these, these fun names and passages of Scripture. So we open up Genesis 14, and we find out that there is about to be a war between uh, four kings versus five kings. So J- Abraham in Genesis 14 is it's hyper-focused on this family and then we get kind of blow this thing back up and we see that there's this international world kind of around them and so this is what happens verse 8 we pick up it says then the king of Sodom the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma the king of uh, Sebaim and the king of Bala uh, that is Zoar went out and they joined battle in the valley of Sedim with Kedolomer king of Alam Tidal king of Goy Emraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar. Four kings against five. And so what's really going on, I skipped verses one through seven, but essentially the, the backstory here is the five kings that are grouped together paid taxes to the four kings for 12 years. And then, uh, like any oppressed uh, group of people, eventually they get tired of it, and someone says, I'm not paying taxes anymore. I'm tired of your oppression. So that's what happens. So what happens then, uh, they, they, they felt taking advantage of, and so the five kings uh, basically go to, the four kings go to war with the five kings. A guy I read this week says this. He says, five city-states in the Dead Sea are, are ha- or have to live under the yoke of an imperial authority for over a decade, but then they rebel. And so here's the foreshadowing of what's about to happen. The imperial coalition engages in a wide-ranging and successful campaign to reassert authority, but it makes the mistake of including among its captives from Sodom someone of Abram's family, which leads to Abraham pursuing the coalition and defeating it. That's essentially what happens. So four kings are oppressing five kingdoms or city-states. Four ki- uh, Five kingdoms stop paying taxes. Four kings get upset. Four kings go to war against the five kings. Four kings win. They take their plunder. One of the people that's included is Lot because he separated from Abram and he is living in Sodom. And and that's a mistake because you don't mess with Abram's family and thus God's on their side and they lose. So that's what that's really what happens. So to read this in the text, it's verse 10. It says, Now the valley of Sedim was full of butamen pits, tar. And uh, as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, which is funny uh, to think about. Like they're running away, and this is all along the Dead Sea, which if you ever, never, if you ever have a chance to go to the Dead Sea, it's beautiful, and you float just so incredibly. You should enjoy it sometime. Have, take a float on the Dead Sea, but that's not what we're talking about. So these kings, they flee. Some, some people think they hide because these uh, later 
uh, Abram will fall in or have a conversation with the king of Sodom. Um, and then the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. So they took everything. They took you know, their, their, their prized possessions. They take their livestock. They take their women and their children. And they went along their own way. Verse 12 says, They also took Lot, the sons of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and went their way. Right, and, and so this all seems well, right? Like if you're the a powerful, oppressive kingdom who is being taxed these other kingdoms for a season of time, they're winning, right? Uh, and everything's going well. They're, they're, they're taking all of the possessions that they're supposed to. Like we've won the battle. Now you, you, now you know. Now you're going to pay the taxes. But again, oops, they took Lot, who was dwelling there. And it's a big mistake. And every, the whole week I've been preparing for this, um, the only thing that I can think of when I think about, oh, they took Lot, is um, when you think about Aladdin in the Cave of Wonders, and he takes, uh, what's, what does he take? The, um, that gem in the Cave of Wonders, you know what I'm talking about? Everyone with me? We're with Aladdin. We were in the Bible, now we're in Aladdin. Okay, I know it's confusing. But Aladdin, what, what does he take? And then all you hear is, uh, what's the monkey's name? Uh, Abu. And he just goes, uh-oh. And then you hear the deep voice of the Cave of Wonders. He's like, you've touched the forbidden treasure. And then everything goes like crazy. We're with me, right? Like taking Lot was like that uh-oh moment for those four kings. That's what that was, okay? And again, I don't do impressions. I do my best. Um, but you all know what I'm talking about, right? And then they have to ride the carpet and they're out, right? That's, but, but so the, the interesting thing here is, so Lot has separated himself from Abram. And what we know about Abram is, is what the promise in all the way in Genesis chapter 12, you see this playing out a little bit. All who uh, bless you will be blessed and all who curse you will be cursed or all anyway so you see this or dishonor you will be dishonored as well and so lot has separated himself and his family from abram and from by doing that and by living and moving to sodom what he has done is that he has uh like released himself or or has become out from under the blessing and the protection and the provision of abram and so Lot is now no longer under the umbrella. Now he's in the rain and he's experiencing life away from the blessing of Abram. And so him, him and his family get taken up and are, are along their way. So he is, he's not experiencing the blessing because his house has been separated from Abram. But luckily for Lot is that he receives intercession from his uncle Abram who is willing to go and say, no, you're still a part of my family and I'm going to rescue you as well. And, and, and I will say this, is as we continue through this journey through Genesis, I want to encourage you to see the interaction of those who bless Abram and how they will receive blessing, and those who don't or do something else, how they either receive curse or not, a curse or not as good of a scenario as well. And this is what happens. But Abram intervenes, and so verse 13, it says this, Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and Aner. And so Abram's, I don't know what Abram's doing because, again, they're not like, the promised land isn't ginormous. You would notice people going to war, but all we know is that Abram is chilling under an oak tree with three dudes. 
He's, or or three, three guys that he has some type of relationship with, and someone walks up to him. And so Abram has already c- like created a good relationship with some Canaanites in this. It even says, these were allies of Abram, right? And so when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth uh, his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And so... The Dead Sea is not on the northern side of, of Israel. Dan is like the, always known as the northernmost border. And so Abram and his three bros that he met in Cana and, and all their people and 318 of them went on their way up and went to go fight and to go get these people back. Only 318 people against four armies. Four armies that are able and have the power to tax five other city-states, right? It's, 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 it's going to show the power of God. It's going to show the blessing of God over Abram and whoever is with, his, whoever is with him. Verse 15 says this, and, and he divided his forces against them by night. So he sneak attacks them at night. And he and his service de- servants defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the woman and the people. And this is, this is quite miraculous, right? Like Abram doesn't just go and get like Lot and his family and says, all right, I got you guys, let's go. No, like he goes and he rescues these women and these children and this, this livestock and all of these possessions, all of these people who would have been probably slaves now uh, under these, this, in this new land, he goes and rescues them and brings them back. He intercedes for them. It's, it's actually a really incredible story. It's, it's, it's amazing as well. And only 318 of them, again, it's to show it's just to show the greatness and goodness of God. And you might be like, Russell, you open with talking about Jesus being our mediator. This is talking about like war. Why, why don't I see a scene from Braveheart yet in your sermon? What is going on here? And like if, if the end of it, you'd be like, that's a really nice story. That was cool. Like God used Abram to go rescue his, his nephew and rescue all these people. Great story. The end, let's go home and eat some chicken, right? That's great. But it, the story doesn't end here. This is where it gets interesting. This is where it gets weird. Abram has these two interactions with two different kings, and we see his interaction, uh, their interaction towards him uh, is different, and his response is different as well. And so uh, he encounters a person called Melchizedek, uh, and then he also en- encounters uh, the king of Sodom. And so let's, let's look at this here. He says, after his return from uh, the defeat of Ke- Kedorlaomer, and the kings who were with him, the king of Solom, Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God's Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And so that's his interaction with this guy named Melchizedek. I might call him Mel, because Melchizedek is long, and you already know that I slur my words and mumble sometimes. Um... But interesting, Melchizedek is such a, a fascinating character in, in this story, and such a kind of a random character as well. You'd think Abram would go home, give the stuff back, and it's all good. But instead, we're seeing that he's in the Valley of the King, uh, or the King's Valley, which is just outside of Jerusalem, and he meets this king 
of Salem, which is actually just shorthand for Jerusalem. Which is, which if, if you've been around the Bible long enough to know that Jerusalem would eventually become the capital city of, of Israel, uh, and then specifically Judah as well, the southern kingdom of Judah as well. And, so, and also, too, is that Melchizedek isn't just a king. All of these others are kings. He is a king and a priest. He's a priestly king of Jerusalem. His name means righteous king or faithfulness is my king. My king is faithful. And so he picks up on this royal priesthood, this, 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 this kingly priest that we'll find later in the Psalms of David and also that we'll find later is described of Jesus, that Jesus is the priestly king. We, we tell people that like that you should de- declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord that he is king. That's what that means, that Jesus is king and that he is reigning now. But Jesus also gets this name of a high priest. And so all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, we see a a, a picture of what Jesus, the Messiah, is going to be like with this interesting character that Abram is called to meet along the way. He he also, uh, he's not an Israelite. Like, He's not. They don't exist yet. Abram is the Israelite. Abram hasn't, hasn't had any kids yet. He, like, this, this is crazy. Yet, so he's like a Canaanite. He'd be like a Gentile back in, in the first century. Yet, he worships the God Most High. The, the, the language he uses, El Elyon in, 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 in the Hebrew. But Abraham uses that language as well to describe it, the God, God Most High. For some reason, this outside king of Jerusalem knows who the one true God is, and this is his interaction with, with Abram, is that he blesses him, he blesses him, and then he also blesses and gives credit to the God Most High, which is so amazing. And what we know is those who bless Abram will receive blessing, and what we know is that, that the future king of Jerusalem would receive the blessing of Abram, and, the, and, the, and that city would receive blessing. That would be the place where God's temple would be, and so the, that, that is true as well in the Hebrew Bible. He, he's a priestly king who brings out bread and wine. Like, if you don't look at that and go, well, what are we about to take today? We're going to bring bread or a cracker and a cup of juice. It's a foreshadowing, potentially, of a future uh, priestly king who will also take a piece of bread and break it with his disciples and offer a glass of wine and say, like, this is my body who's broken. It, it speaks, it points, it foreshadows who Jesus is. Now, priests were intended to be mediators. They're intended to be mediators, and they're intended to be a, a, a gap or a, a, a place that is a go-between between God and humanity as well. And this is what Melchizedek was doing for Abram as well. He is, is, is blessing him. He's blessing him, and, he's, he, he is, and Abram receives it. It's not like Abram's like, no, I'm the only one that can worship the God Most High. No, I, I receive what, what you're saying. I receive it, and I, I agree with you that God is the one who gets credit for this victory as well. And in response to that, uh, Abram gives a, a tithe is, is, is a word. Uh, we use this word in church it is carried on as well a tithe is a tenth of his possessions 
Uh, and so we use a tithe as a ten, like when you give uh, to a church and you're tithing to a church or giving 10% of uh, financially of what you get because we don't ha- live in the same economic system uh, as they did back in the day. But you see that he just gives it freely in response to him as well. Now let's contrast that with the, the other king that he meets, which is the king of Sol- Sodom. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the, the persons, but take the goods for yourself because Abram went and brought back his stuff that he was too afraid he was too afraid to go and get himself so he says hey give me the persons but you can take all the stuff all right all the wealth but Abram said to the king of Sodom listen to this I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high possessor of the heaven and earth that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours lest you say I have made Abram rich. I'm not going to give you anything because I don't want anyone to say that, 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 that I owe you anything and that you are the one who has given me wealth. You, you king of Sodom, Sodom, are the one who, who, who gets credit for my success in this life. And he says, I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Uh, let Aner, Skull, and I can't remember, I didn't take notes how to say their names. Mamre, uh, take their share. Let these guys take their share because, because here, so he does two things here. He says, listen, like I, I, I want the God most high to give credit. You, you, you see what this guy Melchizedek did is that he honors the God most high. He knows who the, the, the source and the power behind my accomplishment and my success is. He's the one that gets the glory and the honor. You don't, king of so- Sodom. And if Abram would have taken this gift, then in that culture, he would have been responsible responsible for this king he would have in some ways been in covenant with this king of Sodom uh, like over and over and over again like he would he could not he could he would have been stuck in this relationship and would have owed him a favor it's like the mafia you know what I'm saying like you, you don't take money from the mafia you know why because eventually they're going to want their money back and you're going to owe them a random favor and that random favor is going to get you in jail all right so don't I don't know I don't know anything about the mafia I've never been a part of it all right I've just seen a lot of movies but don't, uh, but, but that really sidetracked me too mentally. Well, I just lost my whole mindset. There we go. But the whole point of this is, is he, he's making a description. like, I want, the, I want the God of Israel. Yet, at the same time, so he, he brings his three bros that are hanging out with him under the oak tree. He says, these guys, though, they get their share. Like, he does the appropriate and honoring thing in this moment. This is a very much so business, in a business transaction, if this is what we're just focusing on business, like, he is incredibly honorable. He pays the, the, these people what they deserve. He, he gives them the credit that they deserve as well. Uh, and so it's, it's this fascinating story. And, and so for the rest of the time, I just want to spend a little bit of time and talking about this guy, Melchizedek, because Melchizedek is, is it's, it's crazy just the foreshadowing of uh, David and then finally Jesus that we get uh, from this random guy named Melchizedek who is this priestly king. And so he's only mentioned one other time in the Old Testament, and it, it's in Psalm 110, verse 4. It should be on the screen. It says this. He says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So now he's not just a dude. This, this guy that wrote, David wrote this psalm, picked up that there is an order of Melchizedek. There is a priestly order of Melchizedek. Now, if you 
know the Hebrew Bible. Uh, in there's tw- the twelve tribes of uh, Jude, <coughs> Jacob, excuse me, the twelve tribes of Israel. They uh, there is one family or one tribe that is devoted to the priestly tribe. Do you guys know it? Bible quiz number one. Yell it out if you know it. Be confident. Nailed it, Levi. That's awesome. Good job. If you would have said Judah, it's okay. Jesus is from there, but it's not right. So, but Levi is the—they're uh, the ones that were responsible for uh, the—they they were the priests. That's where that's where the priests came from as well. Yet David says this line that there is a priestly order of Melchizedek. Now, we're, we might Bible nerd for the next few minutes. So, if you do want to check out, that's cool. But don't because it's cool. Okay. Um, yeah, it makes plenty of sense if you really think about it. So. But the whole idea is David picks this up, and then that's it. You don't hear anything else about Melchizedek until, this is crazy, until Hebrews. And you know, we don't even know who wrote Hebrews, by the way, but until Hebrews in the New Testament. You see, uh, you see the writer of Hebrews, uh, some people call him the pastor of Hebrews. They like to say he's the pastor who wrote it, or a pastor wrote it, uh, from five, f- 5 through 7. And we'll spend some time in Hebrews 7 looking at Melchizedek, and, and what it is, is a lot of people I've spent, I, I told people earlier, um, they were asking me how the, what we were talking about today, and I was like, well, I've spent like, I've been in like a dark hole of like listening to podcasts and reading books about Melchizedek, and people try to like make conclusions, and they want to say they know exactly what he is, but most of the people, when they really think about it, they go, we're not sure, other than that he, he, he foreshadows this priestly king that is to come in the Messiah of Jesus, uh, and also, it's, it's interesting that he's not an Israelite, like he's outside that God is using who, who knows him um, in such a way. Now, some people want to say, they want to say that this is, they'll, they'll call them, um, they're called Christophanies. That's a fun word. Uh, the, the, this is an example of a Christophany, which is a, a either a literal incarnation of Jesus prior to uh, him coming uh, back at uh, 2,000 years ago, like literally like Jesus just pops up every now and then. Uh, a, a famous Christophany is, um, you guys know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is awesome, awesome, fun names to say. You remember when they get thrown into the fiery furnace? You know the veggie tales when they turn into popcorn? I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Uh, disregard though. Uh, but, you know, in the fiery furnace, there's a fourth person scene in there, and they don't get burned up. People are like, oh, that's Jesus right there. That's Jesus right there. Maybe. I don't know. But, um, but they'll say it's a Christophany, and it might be. Regardless, uh, what I would say, it's a, typo- it's, it's, a type, it's a Jesus type. It's typology, right? Like, it's a theme that is supposed to say, that's like Jesus, but we, we, it's, like, it, like, it's just a picture of it. But eventually, what we realize is that Jesus is greater than all of these things. And so I'd say it's a Jesus type. I don't know if I'd go as far to say it's like, that's definitely Jesus. And if, you, if someone says that's definitely Jesus, then I go, you don't know. And that's cool. You, th- you can say it. you think it's Jesus, but you don't really know. It looks like Jesus, but you don't really know. Um, it, it, anyway, so, but I, that's why I, I like the word Jesus type, because it, it, it's, the point of it is to point you to make you think, oh, that's like Jesus in that way as well. But, but we see in Hebrews chapter 7, um, that, 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 that Jesus is, or that Melchizedek is brought up to explain how Jesus can be a high priest. Uh, because if you know anything about uh, Jesus, so the Levites were the priestly line. Does anyone know what tribe that Jesus was born into? Bible trivia, what up? Anyone? Judah, good job. Yeah, we did it. Nailed it. Uh, yeah, he's he's born into the tribe of Judah, which is pro- that he was that was, he was prophesied to to be born into the tribe of Judah. So, 
if, if, if Jesus is called the great high priest, uh, and he's, in, he's born into the Jewish family, he is an Israelite, yet he's not born as a Levite, how can Jesus be our great high priest? How can Jesus be the mediator? And so this is what, this is what the writer of Hebrews picks up, and so we're going to read and sort through it as well. So he says this in verse 1, he says, For this Melchizedek, seven, Hebrews 7 verse 1, king of Salem, and honestly, I'm going to read most of this because Hebrews, I think, explains this. If you need more explanation, we can grab a coffee or sometime, uh, or, um, or you can go read this later with someone. That's a great, good thing to do. King of Salem, priest of the Most High, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him and said to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning or days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. And so what they're doing is they're, they're saying Jesus, uh, Melchizedek is like Jesus in this way because if you read the Bible, we have no idea where Melchizedek comes from. There's no mention, like in Genesis, there's already like two genealogies already previous to this, or at least one, and he's not mentioned. We don't know what family he's a part of. We don't know where he comes from as well. And so he's like the Son of God who he has this, it almost gives him this eternal sense as well. There's a few other characters in the Bible that kind of have this, like they just, they didn't die. They, and so they have this other thing that people will harp on. But he's like Jesus is what he's saying in this. His reign is forever. See how, how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his spoils, that tithe. And so descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a command in the law that take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descendants of Abraham. And so basically... Levites and Abraham both gave a tenth of the tithe, uh, or people gave tithe to uh, priests. One in Melchizedek, Abram did that, and then all of the Israelites gave it to the Levites. But this man, who does not have dis, uh, his descent from, his, fr- from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. Verse 7, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, ties are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives ties, paid ties through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. And so essentially what he's saying is, Melchizedek is greater than Abraham in this way. And so Levite came from Abraham. So the priesthood of Melchizedek is greater than the Levitical or Levite's priesthood. Are you guys with me? That might have been confusing. But essentially, draft, right? Like you guys know the greater than, less than thing. Melchizedek, Mel, greater than Abram, right? Abram equal to Levi. Mel greater than Levi. Good? If not, we'll write it out in the lobby afterwards. But there it is right there. So that's what he's saying. And then, therefore, and so Jesus is said to be a royal priest, not born into the family of Levi, but he doesn't have to be because what the, 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 the writer of 
of, of Hebrews does is that he says, no, Jesus isn't, 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 doesn't have to be from the Levites. Jesus is a part of the order of Melchizedek as well. So he's, he's doing this. And so it was not without an oath for those who formerly became a priest, verse 20, were made such with an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord, so God, God is the one who has declared an oath of this priest. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are priest, a priest forever. He's quoting um, Psalm 110 there. This makes Jesus the guarantor or, the, or guarantees the covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in the office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because uh, he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the othermost, uh, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. And so the, why, like, why go through all this? Like, what's the point of this? Like that was technical and it was va- fast and I'm sorry we have to rush for sake of time. But, but Jesus is, made a, a, is, is called to be a, a high priest who reigns forever in the order of Melchizedek uh, and, and that it's been declared by the Father that he is a priest forever. And Jesus guarantees this new covenant that's been purchased by his blood, that Jesus is this king forever and he's a priest forever, which means this is that you have a mediator forever. You have a perfect mediator forever who is a go-between between you and God who mediates on your behalf. And that's huge for us. And I don't know where you're at today. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I don't know where you're at today, and I don't know what's going on today. And You might not feel like you have an advocate. You might not feel like you have someone that is interceding is another way to say this. But, but you do. Is that this is the, one of the roles of Jesus as, 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 as son, as king, and as priest. And that he has access to the Father, and then through him you have access to the Father because he mediates on your behalf. And so how I'd like to spend our response time is, is acknowledging this, is that there is someone right now in the heavenly places medi- mediating on your behalf. And even though, like, um, if you ever go to a foreign country and you don't know the language and s- someone's translating for you, and you're like, I wonder if they're saying what I'm saying. I want, you ever done that before? Like, what if they're just completely lying? <laughs> and I get, you know, whatever else it is. And, and the, the, the thing about that is, like, we have a trustworthy, we have a trustworthy priest. We have a trustworthy priest that we know that mediates the right thing. And, and so uh, I'd like to spend this next time just really um, maybe taking time just to, to pour our hearts out. Uh, to Jesus and to share what's on our hearts to Jesus in prayer and as we remember uh, as Melchizedek brought bread and wine after uh, Abram comes to him uh, in the King's Valley that we would you would come and receive uh, the bread and the cup today uh, that has been a reminder of, of, of something that has been given to us the salvation through our priestly king who we love so much. And then spend some time singing praises to Jesus, who is our mediator, thanking him for that, uh, praising him that he knows what's going on in the deepest places of your life that, that someone here might not know. We'll also have people that would love to pray with you and uh, to, to, to even be a go-between you as well to, to encourage you. Let me, let me finish with this, this, this passage. This is how Hebrews, Hebrews 7 ends. It says this, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, 
unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he was offered up. For the law appointed men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the Jesus that we worship. Amen? He appoints a son who has been made perfect forever, and in him you have a mediator, and in him you find forgiveness. Lord Jesus, would you... Would you be worshipped today, God? Would we believe that you are our great mediator? You are the great high priest of the order of Melchizedek, God. And would we know that you have come to offer us life? We we, we know that you come to to, to refresh us and to restore us. And may we find uh, rest in you today, God. May we find satisfaction in you today, God. May we find joy in you today, God. May we we find those things that, that, that would cause us to worship you. We love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you would stand in this time of response, come and take communion when you're ready. Take some time and worship Jesus for being the great high priest who mediates on your behalf. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mission City Church podcast. Mission City Church is a non-denominational church in Mission, Kansas. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Cinemark 20 off of Johnson Drive and I-35. And we also have five community groups that meet throughout the Kansas City metro. If you live in the Kansas City area and would like more information, please visit our website at missioncitykc.com. Or you can send me an email at jake at missioncitykc.com.